We're living in an era of information overload. We've more knowledge than ever before. But what do we do with it all? Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organise and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but for getting inspired. Notion is the AI-powered workspace where the everyday takes care of itself. Meetings have summaries, Docs find themselves and every question has an answer because Notion AI turns knowledge into action. And I know that myself because I once asked it to write an introduction for a How to Fail episode. And I have to say, it was so helpful and so convincing. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com forward slash fail. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com forward slash fail fail and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com forward slash fail. Hello and welcome to How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, the podcast that celebrates the things that haven't gone right. This is a podcast about learning from our mistakes and understanding that why we fail ultimately makes us stronger. Because learning how to fail in life actually means learning how to succeed better. I'm your host, author and journalist Elizabeth Day, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what they've learned from failure. My guest this week is someone you fall in love with on screen and then have the happy realisation that they're every bit as brilliant in real life. Vicky McClure is a BAFTA-winning actress who became famous for her role as LOL in Shane Meadows' film and Channel 4 spin-off series, This Is England. More recently, she's been winning plaudits as the unflappable DC Kate Fleming in Jed Mercurio's gripping police procedural Line of Duty. Born and raised in Nottingham, where she still lives, McClure is one of our most versatile and talented actresses. But her career has not been straightforward. In the past, she's worked in Boots and H. Samuel to make ends meet. Because, as she said in a magazine interview, a tenor is a lot of money when you haven't got it. In that same interview, McClure said, I will never conform to what is perfection. She was talking about exercise at the time, but I like to think it fits in well with the theme of this podcast. Vicky McClure, so <laughs> lovely to see you again. And you. Full disclosure, that interview was one that I did with you. Yeah, it was good. I remember doing that interview and it was the first time I'd done an interview and I read it back and it sounded like me. And that's why I, you know, always stayed in touch and always said to Tim, if I ever get to request somebody, can we get Elizabeth? And that's why I'm here doing the podcast as well. Thank you. That is such a lovely thing to hear. And I have to say, it's a very rare person who, actually, it hardly ever happens to me that I interview someone and then we become sort of friends. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. (laughs) Because we did and I felt really comfortable chatting. And it's difficult when when you're interviewed in any case, whether it's just about work or it does become personal, where you just want to say it how it is, but then to get it on print how it is is really difficult. Yeah. Um, But you achieve that, so... Thank you. Oh, well, let's just, let's just carry there on we do. paying the, compliments the to me yeah. for 45 minutes. <laughs> um, I have to say before we start as well that we're recording this in the wonderful Sophie's on Great Windmill Street in Soho, which is an amazing place to come for steak. But it does mean that there's a slight sense of like air conditioning behind. So if you're hearing anything, that'll be what it is. Vicky, now we chatted a bit about your failures in advance of this podcast. And yeah. the job thing I always find super interesting about you because... 
you were, to all intents and purposes, to the outside world, a successful actress when you were lol in This Is England. But actually, you were doing part-time jobs in chartered surveyor's offices, weren't you? Yeah, I was actually at the surveyor's office for eight years. It started as a part-time job and it became very much a full-time job. Did everything from being on the phones to HR to filling vending machines to fire warden. <laughs> Your favourite. <Fire> <laughs> um, you know, just such a variety of work because... That's what happens when, you know, I guess you're in an office environment, you can get a bit bored and an opportunity comes up. And at the time, there was no opportunities coming up in the acting world. And if they were, they weren't secure. So, you know, reality strikes and you have to keep earning money and keep your feet on the ground and just keep going. Were you recognised when you were doing any of those jobs as being lol from This Is England? There was one time I was, I was a trainer at the time and I was in a training session teaching people about data protection could tell you now what whatever I was on about but I might have pretended like I knew what I was on about some guy just went weren't you in this is England in the film this was before we'd done the series and it just completely took me by surprise because I just thought one how do you recognize me I didn't really get recognized back then and two why are you in this job and I was like well didn't pay me millions of pounds so I don't ever have to work again I also didn't have a role in it where it was going to shoot me into the industry. I had an incredible role in it and, you know, it ended up becoming a lot more than what the film was. But, you know, it made no difference. I went and shot for six weeks and I went back to work. So is it weird then, as an actress, that people will consider you to be successful when it doesn't feel like that on the inside? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the way it is, I think, in most of these sort of industries. You know, we've all got these illusions, haven't we, that that person's living their best life and we only post what is the best thing to post and we're only really doing PR when there's something to PR about. So at that time, it seems, you know, like everything's great and it's all going hunky-dory. But like we were saying just before we started this, I was working all year last year and it's looking like majority of my work will all come out at the same time. That's by chance, that's by the channels making their decisions on when things come out. So all of a sudden I'll be in everyone's face and they'll be like, God, you're so busy, you're so successful and this and that. And it's like, it's not. The year before that, I barely worked. So it changes year by year, changes day by day. And in those patches where you barely work, how do you keep sane? I love my life. I genuinely enjoy doing nothing sometimes. I enjoy spending time with my family. I enjoy pottering, sorting my house out. Just life, just doing stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's tricky because you go, well... I am anxious that I've not got a job sorted. I am anxious that, you know, money isn't coming in. And I've always been good with money, as in, you know, I've made sure I've put my pot aside for my tax and my dad drilled it into me from a young age. And you have to be when you're self-employed. But I've just got this thing about me where I just know I'll always work. That doesn't mean I'll always work in the industry. It means if shit is the fan, I'll go and get a job, Mm. like everyone else has to. So when there's downtime... You just do other things. You know, there's, we can all fill a day. If you've got a day off, you can fill it with all sorts of rubbish, you know. What's the worst job you've ever had? Probably in a sunbed shop for a week. I didn't last long because everyone just kept coming out going, oh, it's hot in there. <laughs> I just thought, are you for real? Like, what are you on about? It's hot. Or they'll come in and say, which one's the hottest bed? Which one's been on the most? I just thought, oh, I can't work here. <laughs> and also, I'd never been on a sunbed, and the guy that owned it sort of, you know, was quite insistent that I can use them for free. And I said, I don't want to. I don't want to go on a sunbed and burn myself. 
So, yeah, I left, I left there. What about the best job you've ever had? You've had so many amazing acting jobs. Oh, God. I mean, do you know what? I'd say if it was acting, then it will always be This Is England. The freedom I get on that job is beyond, you know, for me, it's an actor's dream. Some actors, you know, would much prefer the script. And I enjoy working with script and, and somebody like Jed Mercurio, who writes so incredibly well... It's a privilege to say those words and, you know, sound as intelligent as Kate does. (laughs) But This Is England is something that I can sort of get into the heart and soul of as much as it's, you know, at the moment there's no future for it as I'm aware. But, you know, it's still such a huge part of my career. But then Mother's Day was a big challenge for me. It was a big challenge for the accent. It was a big challenge playing somebody that's a real person that was such a horrific story there was so much responsibility on that job but I I had a really enjoyable time with the people that were on it so I don't know it just comes in waves and actually doing a documentary that I've just made is probably my proudest work to date just because it's real and it really means something so tell us about the documentary basically a group of people all living with dementia aging from 31 to 84 and we formed this choir with them, and it was in Nottingham. And it's really hard to describe until you watch it, but it's just watching these people live with dementia, learn new songs, get therapy through music. I don't know, we formed a family. I spent time with people that aren't going to get any better. There's no cure for this disease, and they're the most inspirational people you could wish to meet. I mean, it's heartbreaking, and it was just such a joyous experience. Like, it was bizarre, because it's so sad, yet on the other side, it was the best three months of my life, you know. And were you drawn to that because of your grandmother? Yeah, but it, it wasn't like, oh, you know, my I was involved with the Alzheimer's Society before my nonna was even diagnosed, and I didn't really know what it was. My nonna was diagnosed it all of a sudden became the forefront of our family. We had to learn a lot and we had to try and figure out what the hell was going on and where you get help and all these things. And all of a sudden, since then, and once anything's in your life, you see it everywhere, don't you? It just becomes like this thing where you go, oh my God, I didn't even realise it existed, now it's everywhere. But then aside of that, I just think now it has become the new cancer where you only have to talk to someone and they'll go, yeah, I know, my friend's mum or my mum or somebody's got a connection. And it's not like I'm going, oh, you know, this is going to save the world. But it's something that came at me really organically. It wasn't like I went, right, I need to make a documentary about dementia. I'm not a presenter. It's not something that I sort of was planning on doing. But it came organically from a production company. And I just really liked what they were trying to do with it. I think when people watch it, they'll be pleasantly surprised. It's, you know, I think the word choir can be a bit of a funny one. You might think, oh, it's a bit religious, a bit old fashioned. And it's, it's nothing like that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. So talk to me about your failures. School. <laughs> I sent you quite a list. You did. You said, I'm literally going through it now and saying, which one should I pick? Um, you, yeah. But school was a specific one that you wanted to Yeah. Talk school was, for me, like some of the best years of my life. I had a great time at school. I've still got my schoolmates who are my best mates. I just didn't really learn an awful lot. In terms of actual education, I learned a lot about life and about people and about respect and lots of other things which have been instrumental in my life so it's not like I walked away with nothing it's a shame when you get older you go god I wish I had have listened because there's so many things that I now wish I knew or at least you know even just like we're right in the middle of a political nightmare and I sit and watch 
these debates and I go, I have no idea what they're talking about. And so many people say the same because they are talking absolute gobbledygook. And then the language that, unless you understand that language, it's very difficult to digest. But, you know, some things just because I, I didn't educate myself, I wasn't interested. I was interested in drama. I was interested in my mates, in boys, in, you know, all the things that are sort of priorities when you're that age. But I look at my nephews now and go, please make education a priority because it's so important to be in the know. And it, it is a regret in so much as I just wished I'd have given it a better go. Like, because I'm, I know I'm not thick, if you know what I mean. I'm not, there's lots of things that I go, oh, maths and science, like it just blows my mind. I just can't quite get there with things like that. And even with a job like line of duty, when you've got such tricky dialogue and you're having to work it all out, you know, it takes a lot of homework to get, all that wrapped around your head and you get there because you have to ask questions and you have to educate yourself and yeah I think if I'd have spent more time doing homework or at least listening and not prattling around in school then I would have been well educated I remember you once telling me that you called line of duty lines of duty yeah (laughs) I still do yeah it is I mean that's a memory test it's not so much the educational side you know line of duty is great because I think it appeals to such a wide audience of people and it's not an education it's not a, a class to try and understand police banter the lines are like a memory test and that's just hard because you know you can't train your brain the other thing that I always imagine must be quite hard about the particular role that you play in line of duty Kate Fleming is that She's such a strong woman because she is unflappable, which also means that she doesn't emote yeah. that much. Is that a challenge? It is, because I'm quite emotive, I think, and you know, a lot of the characters I play are quite emotive as well, so I have to sort of restrain on certain things. But that's a great challenge because it just gives me a chance to do something different. And I think now we're sort of seven years or something ridiculous since we started... I've got to know Kate loads better. It's much easier putting her shoes on and going right back to work. Mm. And also letting her develop a bit, you know, when we come to season five, you'll see a slightly different version of her. You'll see a slightly different version of us all because we've grown up, the characters have grown up, we all change and develop. But yeah, she is. She is pretty, uh, pretty stern. And going back to your failure at school, such as you see it, because yeah. I actually think... I mean, lots of people don't understand the political process or maths or science who have done well at school. But did your parents, did they see it as something that they wished you would apply yourself to? No, not at all. I think, like, my sister hated PE. My mum and dad would happily write her a note, you know, make up any old sort of rubbish. Jenny can't because she's hurt her toe. (laughs) And... You know, it wasn't that they weren't encouraging us to learn. It was just, if your kid isn't enjoying something, it's not going to make a massive difference if she doesn't do netball that day. Do you know what I mean? So they were encouraging, and my mum was always on us, make sure you've done your homework and all that kind of stuff. But I was doing what I was doing. I started the workshop when I was 11. This is the workshop in in Nottingham? Nottingham, yeah. And I was there for 10 years. I was there twice a week, every week, doing plays. All my hard work was going into that. So that meant that I just didn't have the time to worry about, you know, my RE homework Mm. because I didn't care about it. There was lots of things that I did care about in school, lessons. There was, like, silly classes that we used to do, like city and guilds and all those sort of things where you go, oh, it's, like, quite interactive and it's practical and, you know, those sort of things. But... I also think there was the part of me that because I was part of a big crowd at school, that it wasn't very cool to learn. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And actually it's cooler that you didn't do your homework and it's better that you just 
dicking about and writing letters to each other, folding them in those stupid ways. I can't even, it was like origami or something. And then you'd have to like unfold them and that was like priority for a class. Get the letter around the room. You know, work out what we're doing after school. Yeah. So yeah, and I was probably quite encouraging to other friends as well. Don't do your homework, let's go out. <laughs> but it sounds to me as if the flip side of that is that you have great friends from that Oh, I've time. got the best friends. The best friends. And, you know, we're all doing great jobs and I I think there is that flip side of me going yeah I want my nephews to learn my nephew who's 11 now is doing really well at school and I'm really proud of him and he's getting like great results and it it really makes me proud like the sense I get from it I just go oh god I really hope you don't lose that encouragement to want to learn but in the same breath just do what makes you happy because it doesn't matter if you haven't got GCSEs that you're going to fail in life you know, maybe I felt that at times when I thought, oh, God, my, my GCSEs were terrible. You know, there was letters in there I didn't even know existed in that GCSE. You know, you just kind of go, it's either an A, B or a C. It's like, not for me. It was like D, E, F. And I was like, oh, God. I remember getting an A in English speaking and listening. And I thought, oh, my God, I got an A in English. And then my teacher was like, it doesn't really count for anything. It just means that you talked a lot and you listened. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect for the purposes of this yeah, podcast. Exactly. So, um, talk to me about failed auditions because that's something that I think actors so have to deal with oh, mentally so often. So often. I mean, it's I wouldn't be able to count how many auditions I've failed at, and whether it's I failed because I was unprepared and tried to bullshit my way through it. Yeah, I love the script. It was great. Never read it. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. I haven't learnt my lines because of whatever reason. And, and you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. But I think there would have been auditions where I'd failed it or it had failed me, you know, and it, it swings in roundabouts. It's a funny old process. It's one I've never got to grips with. It's one I'll never really enjoy because, you know, you go for an interview for a job, you work your way up to that and, you, you know, you get anxious about it and you try and prepare for it as best you can. That's like a weekly occurrence for actors. You know, you walk into a room full of strangers. I genuinely believe they've already got an idea of who it is they want to play that role. So that person, they'll have started at the top and gone, you know, we want her, she's brilliant, she's in everything, yada, yada, yada. She doesn't want it. So then they start and bring it down to, oh, well, maybe this person. So I already feel like I'm on the back foot. Do you know what I mean? I already feel like I'm not good enough to just be offered the role because... They need to check I can actually do it. So, you know, maybe that's just an insecurity in me, but it it does put me on the back foot and it does make me nervous. And I do still go to auditions going, oh, God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be here. So you're, you know, you're not in a great place to be going, hey, I'm Vicky, I'm going to be so relaxed and I'm just going to do it and it's going to be fine. You've got to have a thick skin in this industry and I do have a thick skin and I can brush a lot of stuff off. But there are times where you just go, I'm fuming about that. Mm-hmm. I worked hard on that audition. I, I made sure I did my research. We all got on really well. And sometimes they'll say those frustrating things like, oh, you know, so are you okay to make the, the filming dates? And you're going, oh, my God. You ring your agent straight after going, they're checking the dates. They, they want to know if I've got the dates. And then you don't get it. And you go, don't build people's hopes up like that. Because it's not fair. Because we're all, you know, waiting for the next job and hoping that it's going to be that job because you, you want to be in it. You're there for the meeting. There's auditions I don't go to because I don't want to be in it. But if you're there, it means that surely you've got an investment to want to be there. Mm-hmm. 
I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You did a Guardian questionnaire um, a while back. (laughs) Yeah, you did. I'm about to do that horrible thing of quoting it back to you. Ah. And one of the questions was, what's the worst thing anyone said to you? And you said you haven't got that job because you were sad you didn't get a suffragette. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't was. know you... I mean, you would have been brilliant in that film. That was a really hard blow because, one, I'd done a lot of research and I'd really, really tried to nail it. You know what I mean? And I just knew it was the sort of job that was right for me. It's good to admit it, you know, sometimes. Yeah. If you just say it out loud and go, yeah, I went up for that job, and you actually name the job and say, this is what it was. And, you know, that, at that point in time was a really would have been a massive game-changer for me. You look back, you go, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, it just doesn't, because the film's been and gone, and it did great, and the people that were in it did their job well, and, and everything's fine. But at the time, I just, I did, I felt like it was happening, whether that was because somebody said something in the room that made me assume that it was coming my way. And it's good to get feedback in the room when they go, that was just an incredible read, thank you so much, blah, 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 all that stuff. You can't help but walk out the room going, oh, my God, I think I've got it. Peaky Blinders. I've auditioned for that every time. I've never got the job. And I don't mind admitting it. It's not wrong for me to sort of name and not shame. I think it's but, so good that you admit it. You know, it. it's just going, Peaky Blinders is that kind of show that I would say is an obvious casting for me where people are going, you know, working class, you know, right down the road, Nottingham and Birmingham, next door to each other. And I've just never got the job. And, you know, I just wouldn't audition for it now again because I'm just like, well, we get it. I get that it's just not going to work. And it's fine. Other people have got the job. But at the time, you go, right, I'll do the audition one more time, but then I'm not doing it again because I can't keep putting myself through. You you want me, but you don't want me. I don't get it, you know. Do you experience it as personal rejection? Not really, because I don't have any sort of friendships if you like it's not personal because I'm not around them so whoever's you know doing the audition or producing or directing it it's work it's business so I don't take it personally it just hurts because you personally feel like you've not done what it is they needed you to do but to any other actor out there I'll always try and explain to them it's sometimes it will come down to the stupidest of things the majority of the time the frustration is you won't know what that is because you don't get feedback. You know, you might get, we loved her, but it's just not gone her way. But I don't want to hear that. It's just like pointless information. And it's not encouraging feedback. It's like, it's so misleading, isn't it? We loved her, but we don't want her. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's a bit you know. like someone in a relationship saying, it's, it's not, not you, you, it's me. me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
But in saying that, I don't, you know, I don't need a fucking report on how my audition went either. If you've got some really valid information or feedback to give me, then definitely it would be helpful because it might help me in the future for something. You know, I don't really know that nowadays it's tapes. Everybody's taping like mad and I get it. And it's really helpful for people that don't live in London, as I don't. So to save you the hundreds of pounds train fare, tape it. And I, I really, you know, I think that's really good. On the flip side, I like to meet people. Mm. I want to sit down and, and have a chat about anything and everything and just see how we all get on because that is going to be a big part of it and which is why, you know, I've had to learn to just be myself instead of trying to be something that you think they want you to be because you'll get the job. And then when you get to set, you have to try and carry that on. So now you just go be yourself, get in the room, get to know the people, talk to them, see what it is they're trying to achieve with their jobs and, you know, hope that it will go your way. And if it doesn't, it's not meant to be. And you've just got to go with it like that because there's too much disappointment if you don't. Peaky blinders, I will never forgive you. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, it's an outrage. Don't worry, I've forgiven. I'm not bothered. I mean, look, you know. There's loads of great jobs and there's loads of great actors in that particular show. Um, not as good as you, come on. Oh, Elizabeth. I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about that whole thing about it's not you, it's me and how it's similar to kind of a failed relationship, one of the things you wanted to talk about, I don't know if you wanted to actually, but one of the things you said kindly you would talk about yeah. is your failed relationships before you met Johnny or lovely yeah. fiancé. Yeah, I mean, it's not anything that I... I don't really talk about it publicly because you know what what is there to talk about it's been and gone and it is no more for a reason but I just think it's something that everybody majority of people I think will have failed at relationships not necessarily their fault for the failure or maybe it is their fault for the failure but I always say to Johnny like I wished I'd met you years ago because I'd love to have spent more time with him than the people that I did spend time with but then we always, you know, we laugh and go, but then we weren't really the people that we are now. And maybe if we'd have met before, we wouldn't have connected because of, you know, who we've grown into be. Because I'm not the person I used to be in the relationships that I was in because I was, like, completely different. And that's down to the fact that me and Johnny are madly in love and actually he gets me and there's no need for bullshit. And I think when you're young or when I was young, it was all about them. What do they need? What do they want? I gave up acting. I gave up everything for a whole year just because of him. You know, I thought I need to just focus on being here. And I moved to live in this, you know, place where I was just unhappy. And But it was all because I thought it was making him happy. And it, it just, I look back and go, wow, what an idiot. But it's great because I've learned from it and I'll never do it again. Mm. Um, you know, if you love somebody, you let them fly. Oh, I cannot agree more because I had a series of failed relationships, obviously, because yeah. they didn't last. So um, <laughs> throughout my 20s and 30s, really, and exactly the same thing. I thought it was my role to be the caregiver, mm. the one who like worked, but also got dinner ready and made sure the fridge was stocked. And I yeah. don't know what I was trying to prove. It's not that a lot of the people I was going out with weren't demanding that of me. It's just no. that I thought that that's what would make them love me more. I did exactly the same. And, and you know, now I love getting the... Like, I'm one of them. I like to have a Saturday clean and I like to do a big shop and fill the fridge. And, you know, I do like the feeling of Johnny coming home and going, oh, the place looks lovely. 
And it's not like I'm doing it because he needs me to do it or he wants me to do it. I want to do it because it's nice for us. And I know he appreciates certain things. But back then I was doing it because I was trying to get something out of it. Oh, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. I'll sell this and then we've got money for that. You know, it's like, oh my God, what am I doing? What am I, I gave, you know, I left the workshop, which meant I had to get back into the workshop once I'd had my year of being crazy and going, can I come back? I'm really sorry, I just, I messed up. And Ian said, yeah, you can come back, but you'll have to audition. And I had to, like, do a monologue in front of the group to try and get back in. It was petrifying, and, you know, luckily I did. But at the time, I look back and go, God, I, li- I missed a whole year. I left my agent. I had an agent in London. <laughs> How old were you? I was, like, 18, and... Just messed it all up. And I didn't, I didn't. It was a good thing to do because I look back and go, you know, I obviously just got to that point where I thought, God, all I do is, at the time I was dancing as well. So I was like dancing every night, going to workshop, going to London. And it just felt like I had no life and I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. And it was that rebellious thing where I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to, nothing's happening anyway. Nobody's giving me a job. You know, I'm not going to become a dancer. You know, I just thought, sorry, I'll just give it all up. And I, I was besotted. You know, that was all that really mattered to me. I think that one of the hardest things for people like us, as we used to be in those sort of relationships, like so people who sort of get off on the caregiving aspect of it. Yeah. One of the hardest things is working out who you are. And I don't know about you, Vicky, because I was basically in relationships from the age of 19 to 36. Like yeah. just a series of long-term monogamous relationships. Yeah. And I never took the time to work out what I wanted. It would always be what I wanted in the context of a couple. Yeah. And in the context of what made, as you're saying, the other person happy. And honestly, I think it took me 39 years to work out who I was. And that's when I met the man who is now my boyfriend, who completely understands, as you were saying, that true love is letting the other person fly. Yeah. When me and Johnny met, without giving out, like, you know, a really gushy romantic story, but it felt like oh, it. please do. Um, <laughs> I love them. When we first met, it, well, when we first spoke, we was on the phone, and I came off the phone, and I just knew. I just knew. I was just like, I absolutely know that. And I felt awful, because I Googled him, and, you know, I was like, oh, God, he's married. <laughs> then we met, and he was in the middle of a divorce, and I was like, oh, okay, that's all right. But it was tricky, because I just thought, I don't, oh, God, I'm scared now because I'm thinking I I just genuinely feel something that I've never felt before. And he's a man, he's a proper man. Like, he's... he's A grown-up. A grown-up. And I do think it's hard growing up and trying to meet people and trying to sustain a grown-up relationship. You know, I moved in with certain people when I was younger and it was hard to try and, like, run a house when you're not really grown up enough yet to run that house and to have those responsibilities because you're still not sure who you are. And deep down, you know you're in a relationship that's not right for you. But you're forcing it and you'll do everything you can to make it work because also you don't want to tell your friends that your relationship's broke down because it's embarrassing. You know, all these silly little things that you just go, the minute you're out of it, this feeling of relief that you get. And then when you do finally meet somebody that completely gets you, lets you fly, loves you for who you are, and you can have that genuine laughter, you know, you look back and go, all right, get it now. And you can have the straightforward conversations that, again, I don't know about you, but in, in my past relationships, I always had that slight feeling of treading on eggshells. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know if I should raise the fact that, <laughs> I, like, that I might quite like to move in one day. Or, yeah, like, yeah. Whereas the relationship I'm in now, I, I can completely talk about that and feel heard 
and understood and he will talk back and I won't and it's great and it doesn't turn into like throwing something or running out of the house running away like going crazy and you know when you're young you just can't control your emotions and everything just gets a little bit too crazy you know you just go it's just that's part of life and you know I look back on all the guys that I was with and I, I don't wish any of them any harm and they weren't bad people you know they're all happy now and everyone's back in they've got their own relationships and they've got children and they've you know gone off and lived their life and fair play happy days like I don't have any regrets and I don't have any ill feelings towards anyone but at the time I was failing myself because I wasn't being honest with myself because I knew that something was wrong I knew I wasn't meant to be at that place at that time I knew I shouldn't have been treating myself like that I knew they shouldn't have been treating themselves like that or we shouldn't have been treating each other like that and you know not supporting each other in the right way and all those kind of things where you just go god I've got 35 now I get it and it's very hard to teach that I don't think it's easy to say to you know a girl in their 20s be careful about this be careful about that you've got to kind of work your way through it yourself I totally agree. You have to go through the failures to be ready for the person. But what was the phone call, though, that you had with Johnny? Well, he rang me to talk about Svengali, the film that we did together. And because our characters were in a relationship, we just got on to talking about love. (laughs) And just the way he was, like, you know, describing it, I just was like, oh, my God, this is, like, the man for me. And then we first met, and I just, you know, we literally lived together from a week of meeting. We pretty much stayed together from that time until now we've never not lived apart how long have you been together now seven years in march i know (laughs) did he feel the same about that phone call yeah i don't know what it is i don't know i'm not sure about fate or whatever word you want to associate it with i just think i couldn't see my life without him i've never loved anybody more than i've loved johnny and I, i i love it and it sounds cheesy um but it's a nice thing to to say out loud and talk about is that you know I love him more and more every day it's like things just get better and better because seven years with somebody who you genuinely want to spend time with and they want to spend time with you you know I feel really really lucky I do because I've had relationships where I didn't feel like that Mm. the quote that I used in the introduction I will never conform to what is perfection (laughs) as I said that was to do with your attitude to exercise and I'm actually really thrilled that (laughs) you want to talk about your failure to exercise because anyone looking at you I mean you I don't want to embarrass you I mean maybe I do a bit but you're an astonishingly beautiful woman oh right no I didn't know you were going to say that (laughs) sorry (laughs) now I do feel embarrassed is this like having the phone call with Johnny all over again oh yes come on um and I think it's really great for people to hear that an actress such as yourself in the limelight, in the public eye, actually has a very straightforward and quite normal attitude to exercise, which is... Yeah, I don't know, because I don't really do much of it. Look, I have phases, and I had a phase a couple of years ago where I started a gym, and I went for a very short period of time, and I thought that was it. I thought I'd cracked the nut and I was in. And I was going to become this fitness guru and I'm going to be constantly Instagramming my trainers and my this and my that and look at me working out. And I didn't because I didn't enjoy it. But I'm probably quite lucky in so much as I danced all my life. My family are, you know, quite a slim family. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it, metabolism, whatever it might be. But I don't sit down. 
you know, I'm one of them people that's always a busybody and about here, there and everywhere. I've got to a stage now, I think, where I'm like, okay, I'm 35. You know, I can do that thing where I'll sit down and go, oh. Or when you go to get up and I think, God, what are you doing? You're 35. Why does that hurt? Or, you know, why are you sort of like... Me and my friends have a bit of a laugh about, you know, your knee's hurting now. And, you know, it's because we don't do anything. We don't do any exercise. (laughs) So I'm not promoting people don't do it. I'm just saying it's not top of my list. I am starting to get a bit tired of the constant stream of media, of please, you know, every I, I've got friends, you know, sort of celebrity friends, if you like, who I'm extremely proud to say that they encourage loads of people and they get lots of people out of a hole, you know what I mean? And if somebody's there to inspire you, to get you off your ass and go and do something and change your life, then I'm all for it. I have absolutely no problems with that. It's just the excess that it's got to now and the pressure that if you don't look a certain way, if you're not exercising, if you've not done veganuary or whatever that is, <laughs> you're not conforming. It's a bit like this 10-year yeah. photo. I'm not doing it yeah. because I don't care because it, it doesn't matter like what I looked like 10 years ago or what I look like now. It's getting ridiculous. I just think it's getting to a stage where um, you feel the pressure to join in. You feel the pressure to do something. You've got to do it when you're ready. There might come a day where I think, right, sod it, I'm going for a jog. <laughs> or <laughs> I'm going to do something about it because I, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I do need to keep fit and I do need to keep healthy. But I'm not going to change anything drastically. And you know, I don't want to be posting about it and doing all that kind of stuff. It's just not me. What is your relationship like with social media and things like Instagram? I've re- Do you know what? Instagram's like my favourite out of the social media, what would you say? Uh, channels? Platforms. <laughs> platforms. Channels, platforms that we've got. Because, I, you know, visually it's just easier and Twitter can become a little bit like, rah. Although, to be fair, my Twitter followers or, you know, whenever I've sort of been interacting on there, I've never had any great issues where people have sort of trolled me or anything. But Instagram's great because it's instant and it's, it's a nice place to share images. Mm. I do look at it sometimes and I panic and go, what is wrong with the world? Because it's just the overshare. It's the overshare that worries me. So I try not to overshare, you know, and it's not trying not to overshare. It's just very, you know, sometimes, like, if you're really pissed off about something or if you're really overexcited about something, you kind of go to social media to tell everyone oh, I can't believe this has happened. And then when you start typing it, you go, oh, my God, get a grip. Like, there is bigger things to worry about. Or then you go to post something that's, like, so overly exciting or glamorous, you kind of go, oh, no, people don't need to see that. I am quite mindful of what I post. Sometimes, you you know, you wake up and think, oh, I'm just going to post a picture of the sky. And you do, and that's mm. fine, because we all do. Because, you know, the other day there was a pink sky in London and it was everywhere on my social media because it's pretty and everybody wants... It gives somebody something to post, so I get it. Do you care how many likes you get? No, I don't, I don't care. I like it when you go, oh, I didn't expect that many people to react to something like that. It does make me sort of, not laugh, but I'll post something... And everyone will be like, wow, that's an amazing picture and it's lovely and lots of nice comments and lots of likes. And then I post something that means something to me and it doesn't get as much likes. And you kind of go, oh, that's a shame. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just it doesn't mean that much to them. But it'll be something that I haven't connected with that audience with about. And you just kind of go, that image doesn't resonate with them. And that's it. But 
you go, oh, that's a shame. That didn't get many posts, many likes, because people don't really care about it yeah. as much as I do. So the exercise thing, I mean, we sort of touched on it, but there are people on Instagram who post all the time about clean eating and, you know, some yoga instructor in Bali saying this is how you should baste your quinoa yeah. <laughs> for the best protein yeah. hit. Do you think that kind of thing can be damaging? Do you know, it's funny, there's a guy called Richie who, I can't remember, the Strength Temple, I think his name is, and he's a friend of mine, and he's in Bali now. He's a, you know, he does yoga, he does meditation, he does the fit classes that, you know, lots of people are doing now, and I did sign up to it, and I have done a few. I've just not got to that stage yet where I'm regularly doing a class, and if I do, I'm not going to post about it because you don't need to know about it. (laughs) You've got bad things to do. So I, I get it. If that is your thing, then that is your thing. I just think it's not the world I live in. Do you know what I mean? I, like in my area in Nottingham, you know, you'll see people running and you'll see groups meet up and they go for a run and, and whatever else. But it's, I don't see people posting about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just I think it's just rather than yeah, exactly. I think life. maybe it's because of. The people that I follow on my Instagram, you know, I follow all my other friends as well, which aren't sort of in the industry, but they're not the ones posting about it. So to me, I just sort of go, oh, it's just really for that industry or for that sort of clique of people. And I don't live in that world the majority of the time. I live in the other world. So I just kind of go, well, to me, it just seems for everybody that's looking at all your posts, which is the majority of people that aren't in that industry, they just can't live up to those expectations. They don't have the time or the money. You know, keeping fit and eating well is not cheap. And I don't care what people say about, yes, you can be organised, and yes, it costs nothing to go for a jog. And if you're organised enough, you can really bring your cost down for your food and, you know, make sure you're eating better and all those kind of things. And I don't eat crap. You know, I'll try and eat as best I can. But it's not realistic for certain working-class families. Mm. It's just not. And unless there's some sort of solution to make that easier, you know, if you've got three kids and you need to go for a run, when are you meant to do that? On top of that, you're being told, well, you can do that and you can do it for 10 minutes. And you go, well, those 10 minutes are really precious. <laughs> and for those 10 minutes, I want to sit down and have a cup of tea and, like, you know, just stop for 10 minutes. So it's not for saying that it's not for those people. It's just going, stop putting it on as though it's dead easy, because it's not. Mm. They'll do what they need to do when they've got time to do it. We can't eat like that all the time. We can't constantly be on that sort of train of, right, I'm going to get organised and I'm going to have a life plan and work out when I'm going to eat these nice foods and do all this exercise. It's not possible for a lot of people. Yeah, just need to ease up on ourselves and on our judgment of yeah. each other. Well, talking of planning, yeah. this brings me on to my favourite of your failures because I'm exactly the same, which is that you fail daily at being spontaneous and that you're a real list maker. Oh, God, I love a list. <laughs> yeah, I do. And do you know what? I'll put on my list, like... Be spontaneous. Be, well, no, I'll put on my <laughs> list, like, eat well or, you know, do fitness or something. And I just think, oh, God, I have to put it on a list to even think about it. And then I never do it anyway. Yeah, I'm a real list maker. I love, like, my paper diary. I've actually gone electronic now, which is... Have I know, you? Because I know. I've still got a paper diary and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I think I need to transfer. But it's like Bob Dylan going electric. I can't. Yeah. It's going to be like a major, major <laughs> shift in my psyche. Ah. 
It is because the things change so often now. So I was like paper diary pencil, you know, and now I'm just like, oh, they're rubbing it out. Just I can't <laughs> deal with it. It looks too messy. But I do love a list and I, I do like to be organised and I get massively frustrated when people aren't organised around me. It just gets me, like, quite stressed. So I just think, God, we, we've had enough time to get it organised. Can we just get it organised? So, yeah, I'm a bit of a list freak. But Are you very punctual? Honestly, I was fuming that I was going to be late for this. I oh, I like, didn't oh think you, God, weren't, oh you weren't late, though. It's so funny that you sent me a message <laughs> but being this like... this is my theory. <laughs> like, my if you're late, you're on time. Yes. Do you know that's, what I mean? That's, that's, that's how like. I... Yeah, so yeah. I kind of go, if we're meeting at 12 o'clock, then... I'll be here at 10 to, and that's me on time. If I get here at 12, I'm late. So, yeah. I've now started factoring in lateness. So I'm like, the other person... Because sometimes it can come across as rudeness, I've realised, to be so punctual, because the other person feels that you're judging them. Yeah, so yeah, I now, yeah, yeah. deliberately sometimes, with certain people, I like factor in like a five-minute delay and then like turn I've up. I've got a friend like who's always late, and I, I'm sort of mindful of that because that's never going to change and I'm always going to be early. So we are what we are. You know, I'm not going to get annoyed. It's just, I am what I am. I can't help being punctual. But it's when people are disorganised that I get really stressed. It's difficult because in my industry, it's quite a disorganised industry yeah. where things change so rapidly and, you know, filming days don't always go as expected and so sometimes it can be chaotic. So it can be a bit stressful. Does the thought of losing control scare you? Yeah, I like to be in control. Whether it's keeping everything in control at home or if things start to... You know, it's very easy for life to go out of control because something will just come and flip your world upside down, whether that's somebody coming ill or something catastrophic happening within the world that all of a sudden turns everybody upside down or something getting cancelled, a job that you thought was going ahead is no longer going ahead... Anything can happen in a, in a heartbeat, can't it? So I'm probably better than I have been in a long time just to let things go a bit because I care less. The older I get, I care less about other things. And then the older I get, I care more about things I didn't care so much about before. So, you know, I have got to that stage now where I just go, oh, you've just got to let it go. You've just got to let it go. It's not worth it. What about things like getting really drunk or taking drugs? <laughs> like, do you, because that's something that I've never taken hard drugs yeah because I'm terrified of what it might do to me like I'm terrified of losing myself in that and not being myself it's never attracted me I'm the same drinking I did a lot of drinking when I was younger to the point where I just don't drink much anymore Mm -hmm. so if I go out I can have a few drinks and that will do me and I can get completely blottoed but I don't like the feeling of it I hate being sick when I'm drunk, it's just, you know, you just go, I know it's coming. It's happened, you know, it happened last year. It's not like it's, I'll get to that stage where I just think, oh, I've took it too far and now I feel sick. And then you, you know, got head in the bowl and you just feel like, shit. <laughs> so I don't drink very much. I was never, ever going to get into hard drugs. I just knew it from a young age. We grew up in the weed era, you know what I mean? And that was as far as we was taking it. And I'm glad of that because there was people that grew up in the sort of, you know, pills era where you just go, you don't know where that's going to escalate. So, yeah, for me, it's never been a problem. And weed is one of those drugs where you tend, you know, control doesn't really come into it. You just sort of, there. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoying whatever's on the telly with a bowl of cereal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Vicky McLeal, um, I love that we're ending with talk of your head down a bowl as you're vomiting. I know, I know. So that's a nice mental image to leave our listeners with. (laughs) 
um, I cannot thank you enough for being your wonderful self. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I know how busy you are. And Peaky Blinders, I'll never get over it. But um, I cannot wait for the next series of Line of Duty. Thank you. It's coming. Yeah, thanks. 